Welcome back to the While We're Waiting Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. This is a podcast of stories, stories of devastating loss and grief and heartbreak and struggle, and stories of hope and healing and faith and, yes, even joy. Underlying every conversation is the hope we have in Jesus Christ, which makes it possible to not just survive the loss of a child, but to live well while we're waiting to see them again in heaven one day. You can learn more about our ministry and the free bereaved parent retreats we host by visiting our website at www.whilewe'rewaiting.org. Welcome to episode number 125. Today's episode is a little different. I don't have an interview to present to you, but that's because I wanted to take some time to share a few of my thoughts about Thanksgiving with you today. There are a lot of things I don't remember very well about that first year after Hannah went to heaven, but one thing that stands out vividly in my memory is the first time we celebrated Thanksgiving without her. I use the term celebrated loosely because there was absolutely no celebration in my heart that year. Nine months had passed since Hannah's homegoing, and I really thought I'd be better by then, but I wasn't. We had become pretty good at navigating life at home as a family of three, caught up in the busyness and routine of school, work, basketball, cheerleading, etc. But as we stepped out of that routine to celebrate Thanksgiving, especially when we gathered with our extended family, Hannah's absence was everywhere. I remember deciding in advance that if someone started the let's go around the table and say what we're thankful for routine, I was out. No way was I staying for that. To be perfectly honest, I was hard-pressed to think of anything I was thankful for. I was still so raw and fragile and bleeding deep down inside. I'm happy to report that we did not participate in that tradition, and I was able to stay at the table and choke down a little turkey and dressing. But a few hours later, when the rest of the family decided to put up a Christmas tree, I found myself hiding out in a back bedroom holding my daughter while we cried together. The next Thanksgiving was better. We decided to take some control of the situation and invited the extended family to gather at our home. My parents came, as did Brad's parents, along with all his siblings and their kids, 17 people in all. I cooked a 22-pound turkey, complete with stuffing, along with the broccoli and cheese casserole and two pies. The rest of the family brought all the sides, cornbread dressing, green bean bundles, corn casserole, tater tot casserole, sweet potato casserole, pink stuff, a personaire family tradition, and some more desserts. I found it helped to distract myself with all the preparations. The whole day was made a little more interesting when a heavy rainstorm moved through the area and knocked out the electricity. Yeah, the turkey was about half done at the time. We sat around and visited for about an hour, thinking surely the power would come back on soon, but it didn't. All the kids were already hungry, we still had about two hours more cooking to go, and the cowboy cookies I had set out as snacks were long gone by this time. What to do? Well, borrow your neighbor's oven, that's what. There was a large area without electricity, but we were apparently right at the edge of it because our neighbors right up the road had power. Bethany texted her friend Stacy, whose family was just leaving to go to her grandma's house, and with their permission, we moved our giant turkey into their empty and already warm oven. Our electricity came back on about 45 minutes later, just in time to get all the sides heated up while the turkey was finishing. 
We sent the guys over to get the turkey, and by the time it was carved, everything else was hot and ready to serve. We couldn't have planned it any better. The meal was delicious. The family fellowship was sweet. We once again managed to get by without having to say what we were thankful for, and nobody set up any Christmas trees. The distractions worked, and we all made it through that holiday a little more unscathed. Tomorrow, we will be marking our 14th Thanksgiving since Hannah left. I hope it's an encouragement to you to know that while we've missed her deeply with every family gathering, God has brought so much healing in our lives since that first awful Thanksgiving. And I honestly believe that recapturing gratitude has been a big part of that healing. For several years after Hannah's death, I faithfully managed a blog called The Sullivan Four, and as I was preparing to record this podcast episode, I pulled it up and searched my posts for gratitude and thanksgiving to refresh my memory about those early years. One of the posts that popped up was written on February 26, 2011, on the two-year mark after Hannah's homegoing. On that date, my post referred to an article I had read by Anne Voskamp titled How to Find the Holy Grail of Joy, in which she described accepting a friend's dare to write down 1,000 things that brought her joy and how that simple practice had impacted her life. And here's what I wrote that day in response to that. You'll notice I have a tendency to think things through as I'm writing them. A list of 1,000 things that bring me joy? I could do that, but could I really? 1,000 things is a lot of things, a rather mind-boggling number when you really think about it. I mean, it might take a whole year to make a list of 1,000 things. Yes, it probably would take a whole year to make a list of 1,000 things that bring me joy. And what if I were to start my list today, on February 26, 2011, with the goal of finishing it on February 26, 2012? How might that change the way I live this third year of my life without Hannah's physical presence? As I made the decision to take on that challenge, I went on to write, My objective in doing this is not simply to identify what makes me happy, because really, how self-centered would that be, but instead to keep me focused on the ultimate joy giver and to yield to him the gratitude that he so richly deserves. So that very night, I started my joy list. And over that year, I added to it daily. It included things like this. Picking Bethany up from school and hearing about her day. Refreshing spring thunderstorms. Handwritten family recipes on index cards with stains on them. The sounds of high school baseball practice outside my classroom window. Blooming Bradford pear trees. Cadbury eggs. Stepping in puddles on purpose the way my dog follows me from room to room when I'm the only one home, mail in my mailbox, sitting beside Brad at church, the sound of handbells, bright yellow forsythias in the spring, watching birds on the feeder outside Hannah's window, rainy days when I don't have anywhere to go, the Bible app on my phone, freshly sharpened pencils, chocolate chip cookie dough, fuzzy black and yellow bumblebees, little girls with big hair bows, a new pair of sunglasses, homemade strawberry jelly on a hot English muffin, chipmunks, American flags on a windy day, 
pretty file folders, a brand new pair of socks, the promise of heaven. And over time, bit by bit, God began to restore my gratitude. That third year, I began to turn a corner in my grief, and I truly believe creating my joy list had a lot to do with that. I began to realize that God has surrounded us right where we are with more love and beauty than we can possibly take in in a lifetime. Our eyes just have to be open to see it. Psalm 50 verse 23 says, The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Sometimes offering thanksgiving is a sacrifice. I actually think it's always a sacrifice when you're a grieving parent. When you've been deeply, deeply hurt and disappointed, it costs something to be thankful. Yet when we recognize God for who He is, when we truly see His grace, we can be thankful in any circumstance, and that is where fullness of joy comes from. In Philippians 4, verses 11 and 12, Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Notice that Paul says, I have learned, twice. I don't think contentment in our circumstances comes naturally. At least it doesn't to me. But as my joy list has grown, so has my capacity for gratitude. It's a process. But I'm learning. Learning to live with my eyes wide open to the grace all around me. And that helps me recapture gratitude. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it brought you some comfort and encouragement today and maybe made you feel a little less alone on the journey. Please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and and maybe leave us a rating in iTunes to help others find the podcast. Again, we're glad you spent a few minutes with us today. It's a blessing to walk beside you as we seek to live well while we're waiting.